Well, welcome to church. My name is Chase Baker. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. And, and wherever you are in the world, whether you're in your living room or your kitchen or your bedroom or, or another state, wherever you are in the world, or you're in our family worship service, we're so thankful that you are here today as we conclude our series called Life on Purpose. Now, the last time I was on this stage, I was, is at the beginning of the year, we were in a series called Finding Your Focus, and we were teaching through the, the life of, of Jesus and the sayings of Jesus and what Jesus did and, and helping us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And a part of that sermon that I preached then, I started out with talking about the last decade and what the last decade brought to our doors. And then I, I closed that um, with this statement, that I'm excited about what 2020 has to bring to our door. Now, if I could go back and knowing what I know now and take it to them, I probably wouldn't start with that. I'd probably say statements like, uh, I'm dreading 2020. I'm anxious about 2020. I'm really overwhelmed by the thought of 2020. Honestly, I would probably say I'm heartbroken by the events of 2020. And so many people, you feel this way right now you feel heartbroken, and many of us feel like we've lived 10 years in the past five months, don't we? And it's been a, been a long season for us, a long journey. And there were moments during this season, especially the first two or three months, you remember quarantine? That, that we were doing some strange things, and I, I caught myself doing it, and our kids were doing strange things. In fact, I was sitting in my living room one day, and I looked over, and I saw my daughter Kit, and she's four, and she's putting on an Elsa dress with purpose. Like, like it's common for her to put on an Elsa dress. Like that, that was an everyday or an Anna dress, which I wanted you alternate. It, it, it was just a regular occurrence for her. And so, but this time I felt it was different. So like she was doing it with purpose, like, like getting it on. And then she started to head towards the door. And I was like, what is she doing? And I, I did what any good parent would do. I picked up my cell phone and started videoing. And so I wanted to know what she was up to and the strange things that she was maybe about to do. And so this is what I captured. decided to go out there and sing to the world into the unknown? Huh? Yeah? <laughs> uh, just no words. Like, <laughs> she just walked past me. And, and by the way, I think that was an honor dress. I, I can't remember. But, but do you ever feel like that? Like, you know, we're literally in, in the unknown. Like, and sometimes we want to walk out to our front porch and sing into the unknown, or we want to shout to the rooftops. We're so aggravated and frustrated at it all. And so maybe sometimes that you feel that way. And here's the reality, um, that we, there is purpose in this life. 
then we conclude a series today called Life on Purpose. Can we all agree that we need a reminder in, in today's day that there is purpose in life, that God has a plan and somehow that we are part of that plan and that we have purpose as well? I know that on more than one occasion, I was sitting in a chair, staring off into space, kind of numb to it all, but that's not where God wants us to live. In fact, in a state of crisis, he's called the church to step into crisis and to share the hope the love and the joy of Jesus. And so today, before I begin Acts chapter 17 and conclude our series, I just wanna pray for our time together as we open up God's word and study it. Father, we, we're so grateful for you. And wherever we are in the world, you have us here for a purpose, for a reason to worship together in this way. God, we know that the start of of school and wasn't as, as expected, um, other things in life, career changes, moves, um, just everything in life. We know that this was really unknown for us, but God, as we transition today, we do know you. So God, I pray you speak to our hearts. God, that we are forever changed by your words and what you're trying to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been studying through the life of Paul. I love Paul. He's one of our faith heroes. He's one of the most, if not the, one of the most influential figures in the growth of Christianity and the spread of Christianity. In fact, next to Jesus, he's the most influential Christian preacher, or arguably the most, in, uh, most influential Christian preacher, teacher, writer, editor, uh, evangelistic trainer in the first century. And most of the New Testament was written about this apostle Paul. And in our final week of studying through his life, you know, I'm going to look at a story in the Apostle Paul, but it's much bigger than that. As I wrap up the series, I'm going to do a broad stroke of the legacy of Paul. And today we're going to focus in on this idea of legacy and what this legacy is that Paul left behind. And before we get to that, let me just set the stage. You guys know, you've been here over the past several weeks, is that before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. His name changed whenever he became a believer, a Christ follower. So Saul, before, he was wealthy, uh, wealthy family, well-educated, uh, taught by a Jew, he, he learned Jewish law. He was taught by one of the top Pharisees of the day. He was essentially afforded all the opportunities and privileges that the day had for him. And from all accounts, Saul was a success at life. He was a success at life based on the culture that he was in. And he had the respect of Jewish people, and he was very religious. He was very religious. He had it all. And he also thought it was his religious duty to persecute Christians. And then something happened to Paul. And you guys know, he was persecuting Christians in one place, and then he was traveling to Damascus to another place to persecute more Christians. And so as he was traveling, a great light blinded him, and he had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said this to Paul. He said, well, Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, God gave him a new purpose, a, a better purpose. He knew that he was pursuing the wrong things in that moment. God changed his life, changed his perspective. In fact, he was writing to the early church after he became a Christ follower. He was writing to the church in Philippi, and he said this to them. 
If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Let me just tell you about it. And he went on to say, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuted the church. As for righteousness, but what, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, look at my resume. Look what all I have done. I'm, I was pretty successful, don't you think? And then he pauses and he says this statement right after that. All of that was nothing compared to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus, my Lord. It was nothing. You see, he went from persecutor to proclaimer. He went from disrupting the mission of God to fulfilling the mission of God. He went from taking life to giving life. God gave him a bigger purpose. God gave him a better purpose. And then, then Paul spent the rest of his life sharing this good news, sharing this, this Jesus with the world in the spread of the gospel happened. And today I have a snapshot of what that looked like. As we turn to Acts chapter 17 today, Paul was on the move again. And Paul found himself going from city to city. And here's the thing, Paul never knew what he was gonna get. He would go show up in one city and he would be beaten. He would show up in another city and he would be thrown in jail for his faith. And he would show up in another city and people would receive it. So he never really knew. And then he traveled to Thessalonica at the beginning of Acts chapter 17. Thessalonica, he showed up, began to preach, began to teach God's word. And immediately there were a group of people that just wanted to, uh, that didn't really agree. They were agitators. They created a mob and they ran Paul out. So Paul, what did he do? All right. So he picks up and goes to the next city over, Berea. He shows up in Berea, and they were very receptive to the message, message that Paul had to give, the message of Jesus. And so he was teaching, and they were receptive. Everything was going great. And then those in Thessalonica heard what was going on. And so the mob made their way down to Berea, and they ran Paul out from there. Paul told his companions, his traveling buddies, his missionary buddies, he said, I want you to stay in Berea, hang out here for a while, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to Athens. And so that's what he did. He went ahead, he went to Athens, and he was alone. And essentially, whenever you go to new cities, what do you like to do? You like to explore. This is exactly what Paul did. He, he explored. He went throughout the city, so he, he explored. He was taking in all the sights and sounds. And no, this is Athens. This is a storied metropolis. This is incredible. Here's a picture of what Athens could have looked like then. It, it was beautiful. A beautiful city full of sculptures and architecture, home of the arts and athletics. In fact, there was a 60,000-seat stadium in, in Athens for athletics. There are art galleries, music halls, respected academics. You can find them everywhere. It was the cultural centerpiece of the Greek world. And then um, there were also up to 25,000 public statues. Get that. 25,000. So Paul's looking around. He's like, man, this is amazing. And then as he was looking at all the beauty, he began to sense confusion and despair. His heart began to be troubled. And then we get to Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And he says this, while Paul was waiting on them in Athens. So companions were there at Berea. He was waiting in Athens. It says this, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, why was Paul distressed? Why was his heart broken? 
Why, why did he feel this? Why was it so personal to him? I believe it ties back to his purpose. You see, there are two things that, that grieved Paul. The first was this. The first was more glory was given to idols than to God. You know, it's said that there were more idols in Athens than there were people. And we look at that and we're thinking, okay, they were worshiping idols. We read some of that in the Bible. And we're like, how silly, how primitive, what a primitive people. They would worship sticks and stones and, and gold and metal and, and silver. But it was a means to an end. What was their end? Their end was money, sex, power, stability, all the things that we think make up a good life for us. The reality is you and I can worship the exact same things that they worship. Let's add a few in there. Let's add fame. Let's add comfort. Let's add politics. We can worship those things. And the only difference is their worship was overt and conscious, and our, ver our worship is covert and unconscious. See, here's the reality. Every person, every one, each heart has its own Parthenon. See, the Parthenon was actually in a building in Athens, and it held the Greek goddess of Athena. We actually have a replica here in Nashville. So the Greek, that's where they went and worshiped the Greek goddess of Athena. See, every, each person has its own Parthenon. Each heart has its own Parthenon. And the idea of Christianity, to become a Christian, means to tear down that Parthenon and replace it with Jesus. That's the idea of becoming a Christian. And the definition of idolatry is this, according to Webster's Dictionary. The worship of idols of it, or excessive devotion to or reverence to some person or some thing. Some person or something. In other words, it places a higher value on other things other than God. It places a higher value on creation rather than the creator. That makes sense. Is it sometimes, let's just understand this, is sometimes they're not, idols are not bad things. They're just good things that we make into God things. See, the core sin of mankind is idolatry. This is the whole storyline of the Bible. And get this, God, get the whole storyline of the Bible is this, God challenging false gods and showing people who the real God is. And the first commandment is this, is that you shall have no other gods before me. You see, God doesn't want to share his glory with anybody. He's not interested in it. He's the one true God, the creator of everything. And he wants glory. And Paul's heart was breaking because people weren't giving him glory. Now, the second thing that broke Paul's heart was this, the salvation of people. The salvation of people. Why? Because it was personal to Paul. Here's, here's what Paul said to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I'm the chief of all sinners. He understands his need for a savior because when your life has been radically transformed by the one true God, you have a different perspective. And some of us need to hear that today. When you understand that salvation has nothing to do with what I can do or what I could earn, it was given freely, then you tend to extend grace a little more. When your life has been turned upside down by the gospel, you begin to love God and love God the things that he loves, people. You love God and love people. Again, it was personal for him, but that's the beauty of the gospel is it's personal. 
that God wants to have a relationship with us. And But here's the deal. Change doesn't happen unless we see our need for change. That's the reality. Meaning that when we understand the magnitude of our sin, only then we, can we understand the greatness of God's grace. And when that happens, it becomes personal to us. The gospel becomes personal. So in turn, we look at Paul's life and what was he doing? He was loving God and loving people. That, those are the two things that make up Paul's legacy, to know God and to make him known. To know God and to make him known. And just further proof of that, Let's finish out the story. Right after Paul felt burdened and, and anxious for the people and his heart was broken for the people, where do you see him? He goes immediately to the synagogue and he's teaching Jewish people and Greeks. And he, he went to the Marcus marketplace and he was teaching in the marketplace. Anybody that would hear, Paul was ready to share his faith with them, share how God, how Jesus has changed his life. He was ready. And then as he's in a marketplace teaching, some, a group of people overheard him. A group of thinkers, a group of philosophers. They were called the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. They were interested. See, these guys love to debate. And they were hearing some new stuff come from Paul. And they're like curious. Oh, what is this guy talking about? And so, so, Paul, uh, so they go to Paul. And they say, we want to hear more about. So, so we're going to invite you to Areopagus. Now, Areopagus is known as Mars Hill. And that was a place where philosophers, great thinkers would show up and they would talk about ideas, worldviews, and they would debate and they would discuss. And so they're inviting Paul to this place. And this is what it says in verse 19. May we know what this teaching is that you are presenting, Paul. Like, tell us about it. You're bringing such strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent, most, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening about the latest ideas. Sounds a lot like the culture we're in. They were just interested. Here's what they were really after. If there, if there was a God out there that we don't know about, let's add him to the list. Why not? Paul, tell us about him. Is, is he, does he fit the profile? Let's add him to our list. So Paul... Um, who really just would speak to any audience that was given to him. He was like, sure, let's go. And so the next thing you know, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And I imagine they're like, yeah, we are. Like, they're bragging about it. Like, you know, thank you for the compliment. But Paul really didn't mean it as a compliment. See, Paul knew what religious was. And he wasn't interested. See, he was interested in relationship. See, there's a difference between religion and a relationship, that God wants a relationship with us. And then it says this. Paul said, for, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Then Paul gives the, the, his first complete sermon in this next few verses. They had a God that they knew nothing about, and Paul was anxious to share this God that he knew and share the God that they could knew. So Paul then lays out the gospel. He lays out the good news. He gave the storyline of the Bible that creator God 
created everything, not made by human hands or human design or human skill. He made everything, wants to have a relationship with his creation. And he wants to do it through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul lays out the gospel. Why? Because it was personal to Paul. That's why. He said, I heard a pastor once say that the opposite of shallow is not deep. The opposite of shallow is personal because when something becomes personal to you, then it gets deep. I asked that about faith. If we want our faith to go deep, the gospel to go deep, then each day we, we need a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for us because it changes us. It changes us. It pushes us to love God and love people. This sort of sums up Paul's legacy, doesn't it? Now, we talk about this idea of legacy. Now let's move to us. I'm sure you've asked about legacy. You've talked about legacy, your own legacy in life. But we kind of throw it around sometimes. Let me give you a definition of legacy. Legacy is, it means putting a stamp on the future and making a contribution to future generations. People want to leave legacy because they want their life to matter. You want your life to matter. That's why we want to leave a legacy. And gaining clarity on what you want your legacy to be actually drives our meaning and purpose in life. You see, the idea of legacy often reminds us of death, but it's really not about death, although being reminded of death is actually a good thing because it informs our life. See, it gives us a perspective on what's important when you think about legacy. It, it kind of informs the way and it helps us decide the kind of life that we want to live and what kind of world that we want to live, leave behind. And I look at the life of the Apostle Paul. If we're going to broad stroke here, but I think we can learn some things from the life of the Apostle Paul. And the first being this. When the gospel is personal, it informs the way we think. It informs the way we think. Your beliefs and your attitudes affect your thinking patterns. And when you start from a place of God loves me and God saved me and God rescued me, then it makes you wanna spend time with him and know him and therefore it changes how you process information. See, for, the, the, for Paul, the spread of the gospel was really personal because it, it, it affected him, it transformed his life. In a letter to the Corinthian church, he said this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Meaning he gives you a different perspective in life. He changes your life to where you look at things differently. You put on a different lens. You see, oftentimes we have lenses that we put on throughout the day. And maybe you wake in the morning, up in the morning, you have different glasses here, metaphorically. Put on one glasses and you, have, you put on the lens of your opinions or you put on the lens of your concerns or you put on the lens of your politics. And sometimes... Most times, they don't, those don't align with the lens of Jesus. But when we put on the lens of Jesus, we begin to view the world a little bit differently. It changes how we interact with people. It changes how we interact with God. That's the number one. Number two is this. When the gospel is personal, it influences our behaviors. You know, the next step uh, is not just knowing Jesus, it's being like him. And I, I honestly, I think those two go hand in hand. The more we know Jesus, the more we know God, the more we want to be like him. 
So spending time with him is, is really important. They're both linked. This is what Christianity is all about after salvation, becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming more and more like him. And when faith becomes personal to you, you live a little bit differently. Think about this. Think about the difference between shallow and personal. Shallow is fast. Personal takes time. Shallow is easy. Personal is complicated. Shallow is safe. Personal is risky. Shallow is dismissive. Personal is interested. Shallow costs money. Personal costs me. See, it doesn't take much effort to be shallow, but it takes a lot of effort to be personal. Jesus was personal. He spent time with his heavenly father. He made that personal. He touched people who had diseases. He washed the disciples' feet. He spoke respectfully to a scandalous woman. He met privately with leaders at night. He played with toddlers. He was quick to give praise to his heavenly father. He also fed those in need. And finally, he he got real personal with us because he gave his life for you and I to have eternal life. That's really personal. Why did he do this? Because Jesus didn't see people the way that average people see people. See, Jesus, he honored those who were disgraced. He befriended those who were marginalized. He, he embraced those who were rejected. He forgave those who were shunned, and he believed in those who were broken. I heard someone once say this. It says, they, they said, Jesus never got so busy, busy trying to save everyone that he didn't stop to save someone. He was really personal. So I asked this question. How are our communities going to be changed by the gospel? How are our families going to be changed by the gospel of Jesus? This is how, when Jesus becomes more personal to us. That's how. Because then people will see the love of Jesus. And for all of us, that begins in our homes. That begins right where you're sitting. That begins around the, the family that's surrounded by you. It begins in your home. That's the first thing we learn from the uh, second thing we learn from the life of, of Paul. The third thing is our behaviors imprint the next generation. They have a deep imprint on the next generation. And, and I'll say this to you, parent, to you, grandparent, to you, anybody that has anybody younger than them, is that our, our, our kids, the next generation, see and experience God by how we see and experience God. They model the behavior. And another thing that's another truth is they see and experience people through the lens of how we see and experience people. So it's really important to model the behavior that we want to see. We have to model what it looks like to love God and love people. And I was thinking about this, about leaving an imprint on the next generation. And and I thought about my parents. My parents really taught us well how to love God and love people. I, I thought about the different decisions that they made. Uh, throughout their, their, their life and, and their parenting about, um, that made a huge impact on how I view Jesus and my response to Jesus. And there was one time in particular, a decision that my dad made had a huge impact on my life. Uh, I was completing my sophomore year of high school. I was going to my junior year. And that summer, I went with my youth group to um, Mill Creek, West Virginia on a, on a mission trip. And, um, and that, that summer, my dad decided to go with us. It was kind of the first trip that he went on. We went on as a family together in the youth, with the youth group. My dad went with us, had a great time. Um, I didn't know what God was doing in my dad's life, though. And we, we came back. We came back home, and 
a couple of days later, my dad called a family meeting. Now, we never had family meetings, by the way. This like made us nervous. Like, what do we mean? It's me, my brothers, my two brothers, and my mom, and they gathered all of us together, and we had a family meeting. We're like, oh, what is he? What is he going to say? And so my dad sat us all down, and he told us about his experience in West Virginia, and he, he said, he said, for 15 years I've been saying no to God. He said, I'm done. I'm done saying no. It's time for me to say yes. So I'm going to say yes. So for the next year, he went to be a missionary in Mill Creek, West Virginia, discipling the police chief, the fire chief, and the mayor. You know, by him saying yes, it, it really paved the way for me to say yes to my calling. It really paved the way for me to say yes to Jesus and what he has for my life. It left an imprint on me. And I tell you that story because I tell you that it's not too late to model this for your kids. It's not too late. It's not too late to say yes to taking steps of faith. Your yes doesn't have to be going to Mill Creek, West Virginia to be a missionary. It doesn't have to be that, but your yes can certainly be sharing your faith with your neighbor, sharing your faith with your friend. It, your yes could, could be spending time with the Lord in the morning. Your yes should, could be standing against social injustice. Your yes could be caring for the vulnerable and the lost. Paul said this to the early Christians. It's very convicting. He said, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. <laughs> what a goal to be able to say to our children or the next generation, follow me because I'm following Jesus. Keep your eyes on me because I'm following Jesus. What an example. And the last thing is this. The next generation will embody our legacy. They'll embody our legacy. Here's what Billy Graham said. The greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or material things or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Character and faith. The question ultimately is, what kind of legacy do we want to leave behind? I've said it before, I think it's worth repeating, that we are sending the next generation into a future that we're not ever going to see. And so what kind of message are we sending that with them? What kind of future are we giving them? What kind of what kind of world are we passing down? What, the, what, do they want to, what do we want to model for them? And, and I, was, I was thinking about 2020 and the events of 2020. I was like, uh, man, this is a tough year. And everybody watching um, knows it. Is it well, I don't have to remind you of all the things that have happened, right? But here's the thing that I asked myself this question. Are our kids better as a result of seeing us live in 2020? As our, are our kids better as a result of seeing us live in 2020? See, we can't change 2020. We can only change how we respond to 2020. Now, what do you do with a message like this? You know, what I thought we could do is a response is, let's just pray. You know, pray for the salvation of people. Pray that God would receive glory. 
Um, here's what I would love to do in this moment. I would love to, to ask families, if you're in the family worship, gather around your family. Parents, grab your kid, kiddos. Uh, let's, let's have a prayer time. If you're at home right now, sitting in your living room, yell for your kids. We'll fall. Yell for your kids and tell them, come on, we're going to pray. If you're by yourself, spend some time praying for the next generation, praying for the season that we're in, that God would receive the glory. People would come to the faith in Jesus and salvation would rise up. Uh, take time to do that. In the next few moments, we're just going to pause. Parents, pray over your kids. Pray over the next generation. Pray for their hearts to be captivated by this good news of Jesus. Pray that, that we can model a behavior that we want to see, that we will model, become like Jesus, so that when they look at us, they, they see Jesus. I know that's hard. It's a work in progress, right? We don't have to be perfect. That's the whole idea of sanctification, is that we keep on working out our salvation. We keep on becoming more and more like Jesus. So in this moment, let's just pause and take time to pray. Um, I'll give you time and let you pray now.